With just weeks leading into winter break, a concerning trend is continuing in local schools. The proportion of students receiving D or F grades has grown significantly as many struggle to deal with distance learning, as well as the challenges that we are all facing during the pandemic. This raises a question, how do you grade fairly in these unprecedented times? For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Kristen Takeda, you cover education for the San Diego Union Tribune. And first, can you characterize how bad this drop in grades is countywide? Yeah, so it depends on where you're looking at and what school district you're looking at. But in general, pretty much all the uh, school districts we talk to that are teaching middle and high school kids, they're all reporting significant increases in both the percentages and numbers of students who are or of D and F grades amongst all the grades that students are getting. So, um, for example, in Sweetwater, um, I believe for middle school students, they reported that um, like a third of the middle school grades are Ds and Fs, and that's up from just 19% um, last year. So that's like, if you think about it, a th- like a third of grades being almost failing or failing grades, it's pretty significant. So that raises lots of like concerns about you know, what are students' futures going to look like um, if they have, if so many of them are getting, you know, bad marks that will stay on their uh, report cards for, for, for the rest of their careers. Mm-hmm. And do we know anything about the demographics of students that weren't failing before but are now? Um, unfortunately, we asked a lot of school districts for demographic information, and most of them didn't have that level of detail. Um, but in general, it, in general, the districts that did have that, it was the, the grade drops were pretty um, widespread. It was in more than one student group. It wasn't just any particular student group or um, anything like that. So, yeah, it is a pretty widespread trend. And it's, um, yeah, so that raises lots of questions about, you know, how should we grade fairly? Is it fair to grade the same way we usually do? now that we're in a pandemic versus um, like, is it right to use the traditional ways of grading in such a uh, untraditional time? So um, yeah, that's what uh, a lot of experts are uh, talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And when looking at districts all across San Diego County, is there a correlation between schools that have partially reopened and those that haven't with, you know, how many students are failing? Because we know that, you know, it's kind of different depending where you're at, whether or not your school is partially reopened or not at all. Yeah, it's a little, we didn't get too much into that in the story, but um, for example, a lot of the districts that we, that are serving middle and high school students or mostly middle and high school students, those are likely to, middle and high school students are likely to be, uh, to return to class uh, much later than elementary school students because um, it's believed that, you know, younger kids are less likely to um, get severely sick from COVID. So a lot of schools that have returned to in-person classes are bringing back elementary students first or they're on, they've only brought back elementary students. So that's why I think that we're seeing, especially um, we're, we're, we have a lot more uh, evidence that the grade, that this failing grade um, trend is really strong among middle and high school students and because middle and high school students are more likely to still be in distance learning right now. 
Mm-hmm. And at this point, uh, do we expect this to have effects on graduations or are schools planning on, you know, methods to recover some points and avoid those D's and F's? Um, the school districts we talked to said that they are doing, they are trying things to uh, avoid, you know, a, a, a huge drop in graduations this coming, this coming year. So that includes um, like offering makeup classes or just chances to recover a grade or supports like tutoring um, and uh, just extra extra support like that. So uh, it, yeah, we're not sure yet exactly how this is going to affect um, the graduating class or not. But if um, yeah, if the if students don't recoup those grades, then it, it could have a I imagine it could have an impact. Mm-hmm. And when you were reporting this story, what was the mood from leaders in school districts? Because, you know, you expect a degree of students to not pass, you know, a variety of classes. But when it grows this much, what was their response to this jump? Um, I think, uh, again, with the uh, the supports that they're trying to offer, I think um, some districts said that they're, you know, like trying, trying to approach this with uh, grace and understanding of the circumstance, the extreme circumstances that students are dealing with, right? Many students are dealing with right now that they wouldn't obviously in a non-pandemic year. So um, I think what they're trying to do now is, yeah, just offer those extra supports if they can. But um, I don't, we haven't seen as many districts really looking at the way they grade, which is something that, um, a, a few grading experts I talked to that that was something they thought could be addressed or that's a tool that we could use to address this um, failing grade surge. So um, that was, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And additionally, when it comes to the situation that we're in right now with the pandemic, for people that say that students are under undue stress and that's why, you know, they're failing when they weren't before. Can you explain kind of the scenarios that are causing students just not to be able to keep up with their work? Yeah, it could be any number of reasons. It could be having unreliable internet. It could be like you sharing internet access with several people in a family or in a building and not having, you know, an, uh, sufficient internet to adequately participate in Zoom or to see all of a Zoom or to submit assignments on time. It could be um, any number of factors related to uh, socioeconomics. If you your family lost your jobs, or you, if you don't know how you're going to put food on the table, then it's less way less likely that you would be able to focus or um, uh, pay attention to schoolwork and get all your schoolwork done. It just um, like if food is a and shelter is a main priority, then it's almost a lot of people will say it's hard to ask a student to uh, put school first. Um, and then it could be, uh, I also heard, you know, it could be any social or emotional reasons to a lot of teachers are struggling to re- uh, engage students in distance learning because it's so unlike regular in-person learning, you just take away all the social aspects and um, interaction that you would get in person. And then it kind of just makes learning much more uh, much less interesting or fun or engaging. And so it's really hard to um, keep students engaged in schoolwork now. So I think those are um, some of the main things that we're seeing as to why students um, might be uh, getting these worst grades. But 
Um, in general, I think the biggest, the biggest thing is like the whole equity issue. Like if they don't have, you know, resources or if they don't have uh, sufficient access to learning, if they don't have adults at home who can help them with their learning, if they don't have adequate internet, then those are all, uh, all those things are being exacerbated right, right now during the pandemic. And those are all things that dis, um, put disadvantages on students that are out of their control and uh, just make it harder for them to learn. Yeah, certainly hearing you describe that, it's just kind of the theme of the entire pandemic is that people with means and wealth are able to keep themselves safe and healthy, both physically and emotionally, while those, you know, with less means are having to deal with this pandemic more head on and it's having impacts on literally every facet of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned earlier that uh, during this time, there is more attention on how grades are currently done and how they can be adjusted to be more equitable. Can you explain kind of those arguments and some of the changes that we've already seen in some districts? Yeah, so I think um, the reason why I think some experts are calling attention to the way we grade is because um, grading, first of all, is very subjective and it can totally differ from teacher to teacher or school to school. Um, like a lot of times students will be graded for things that are not directly related to academics or what they've learned or how much they learned. Uh, for example, you, students could be uh, docked on their grades for turning in work late or not turning in their homework or for um, not participating in a classroom or in class. And so that's one of the uh, main things that I think some people are arguing for in changing the way we grade is taking out those non-academic factors um, and making the grade solely about, you know, show how much has a student learned, how, how much have they been able to show that they know. Um, and that's because uh, that goes along with the whole equity thing. If we're grading students on um, these extra factors, a lot of which can be affected by their how much access they have to learning or how much access they have to um, education, if it's all online, then that could um, end up disadvantaging students who have less access and who have fewer resources. And so that's one argument that, um, one main argument that a lot of uh, people have been talking to are arguing for is removing the non-academic factors. And that's something that actually um, San, Diego, San Diego Unified just did um, some weeks ago, they voted to remove those in order to be more equi equitable as well. And I think another um, interesting argument I heard from one expert is that um, he, uh, Joe Feldman is the expert, he argued for um, pass and incomplete grades because um, it's almost, uh, the grades we're giving this year are almost not comparable to the grades we're giving last we gave last year then it's not accurately comparing the same kind of situation because for example lots of teachers are not getting through all of their content um that they normally would this year because of all the disruptions uh, due to the pandemic and because students are able uh a lot of students are not able to learn as much and so um if we're covering you know like just a fraction of the content that we did last year, then is it really even accurate to compare grades for last year to this year? And is it accurate to use the same exact grading system as we did last year? So 
Um, and Joe argued that if you if a student doesn't have access to their learning, it's almost uh, inaccurate or to say that to give them like an F and say they failed when they didn't even have access to the learning or weren't able to learn. So is that are you really, you know, measuring their proficiency or how much they learned, or are you more uh, is does the grade more reflect like their lack of access? So yeah, it's just a lot of there's so many. I guess, uh, outside factors that are, uh, could be impacting a student's grade that um, if they don't have access, he was basically arguing that, you know, we shouldn't, it's not very accurate to say, oh, this person deserves an A or an F um, if they didn't have, if they weren't able to, if they weren't able to learn. Mm -hmm. And at this point, um, in wider education circles, are there discussions yet about the ripple effect of, you know, this education loss, this learning loss, because students that manage to do poorly this year, theoretically will have that on their record when they apply for college, that can affect scholarships and, you know, how much student debt you take on. Are people having those conversations of how do we transition out of the pandemic to make sure that students who are just unlucky enough to be alive during this time, you know, aren't punished harshly for something that really they couldn't control? Yeah, it's it's that's a really um, difficult situation. I think a lot of people are obviously acknowledging that there will be learning loss this year and that students are falling behind, but we don't quite have. Um, aside from like the initial uh, grade data we're seeing with D's and F's, um, it's not, we don't have all the data yet on like exactly how much students are falling behind or how much they will fall behind or um, what all the impacts might be in the future. But I think a lot of people are predicting and estimating that yes, it will, it, um, like the impacts of this pandemic on learning are going to, um, you know, have verbal effects into many years to come, like even after the pandemic is done. And um, and I think it goes back to um, the spring when we had all these, uh, we, we had more discussions about say, like waiving um, requirements or uh, for like say getting into college. Um, I'm not quite sure how all those will play out for like this particular school year, but um, I think it, uh, I, I think, I feel like schools are kind of juggling, you know, how do you, how do we both hold high standards for learning and we have to, you know, um, eventually have like a, a baseline for learning sometime. We can't, you know, just not grade students, for example, um, for the length of this pandemic, like they still have to, you know, try and make students learn. But um, at the same time, what, um, all these experts are saying about grading, it's just really hard to ask for the same exact thing from students that you would have asked them last year. So um, yeah, we'll just have to continue to see exactly what is going to happen to students um, as the pandemic continues. But yeah, it just will be very uh, dire impacts for, um, for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it seems like across the entire spectrum of education, uh, that seems to be agreement that grades as they currently are 
are to a degree problematic. But for those that argue for, you know, only minor changes or small changes, can you explain those arguments of we need to make sure that our grading is still rigorous even after we adjust for things that are outside of students' control? Yeah, I think um, like you were kind of referencing just now, I think when we talk about alternative ways of grading or changing the way we grade, there's always um, um, an initial reaction that some people have to that um, is, and I think there are people who believe that's, you know, like lowering the standards for students or going easy on students um, just because, or largely because it doesn't, it's not the traditional way of grading. It's not using, it's not always using like ABCs, Ds and Fs. And then we tend to associate, you know, like high standards or rigorous standards with those traditional letter grades. But um, I think what uh, some experts are arguing instead is that um, like, you know, changing the way we grade doesn't have to mean lowering the standards. It, it is just simply a, a different way of doing so. And um, for example, with removing non-academic factors from the grades, one can even make the argument that's even making it more rigorous because you're placing, you're making the grade solely about, you know, how much the student has learned or how much they prove they know um, versus, you know, basing the grade off of several additional potentially subjective factors that don't have, that aren't directly related to how much they actually know. So yeah, it's just interesting because I, I feel like um, those, those kinds of, uh, that kind of resistance um, always comes up in some way to um, to whenever we talk about non-traditional grades or um, diverting from the from the norm. But um, yeah, that's just a interesting part of the conversation that's been going on about grading. Mm-hmm. And earlier this month, the schools were dealt a big blow because of the move of California, most counties in California, to the purple tier. Now that the outbreak appears to be getting even worse than it was a couple of weeks ago, have schools began to adjust plans for at least the short term, or are things kind of the same as they were, you know, three weeks ago? I think some school district, um, some schools have been changing their plans in that they're delaying further reopening phases. Most districts have already reopened to some degree for in-person learning. So a lot of the changes that are being made because of the purple tier is that they're uh, just pushing off, you know, bringing back more students or bringing back students for longer periods of the day, say like um, full-time versus part-time in-person learning. So that's, um, or that's that's largely what we're seeing, but for um, districts like San Diego Unified and Sweetwater, um, the larger districts, they're, they're, um, for, for them, it me- the purple tier means they're not going to start uh, official in-person instruction until we're out of the purple tier. And um, like everyone knows, we don't have any idea when that's going to be. It could be as soon as, um, well, yeah, it could be weeks. So we're not, we're not sure. So we're all kind of left hanging in the air about, you know, when is when is our area's largest school district going to come back for in-person learning? And I know a lot of people are, um, yeah, just waiting to see uh, when that will happen. So, um, yeah, that's mostly what we've seen with uh, schools right now. Mm-hmm. 
And finally, uh, speaking on CNN this weekend, the head of Operation Warp Speed, uh, Monsus Slawi, said that it's possible that vaccinations could ship out in two weeks and potentially a herd immunity scenario could be reached by mid-May. If this optimistic scenario happens and schools can't get back to where they were in, you know, mid-May, have districts begun thinking of scenarios in which they have to completely redo curricula because so many students have functionally lost an entire year of learning? I'm not sure uh, what school districts are thinking about that right now. Um, I think uh, for a lot of them, they're focusing on, you know, if they haven't reopened yet, you know, how will they reopen safely? And yeah, so I think a lot of the focus is still on this school year. I'm not, I think a lot of, there's so many unknowns for the next school year that a lot of schools aren't even sure and everything changes so quickly that I think a lot of schools are um, just barely trying to, you know, like manage what's going on right now and in the near future. So um, I, I feel like next August is a long, long ways off, even though it's probably not really, it's less than a year. But um, yeah, I think a lot of schools are just trying to, you know, manage uh, what's happening right now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Kristen Decada, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule on uniontrib.com. Until next time.